You sound so good, JT. Murder Tundra. I can't even call you the right name. What's going on, man? Everything. Everything. More yeah. like everything. Yeah, that's true. More like everything is going on. Uh, you it's haven't crazy. been off your phone in like three days. Literally. Yeah. This is the, uh, I'm going to have to get another line. I was but trying to, I was trying to hook you up with someone so you could talk to him. And it was like, um, well, as soon as he gets off the phone, and it just never happened. <laughs> it didn't happen. No. It's been going on for, it probably started, it was even a weird weekend at the racetrack because it was so much. It was as much, it was a lot. You know, and I'm going, man, there's so many people that have so many opinions. And the thing about drag racing is nobody's lukewarm on anything. No. Right? No one's like, well, I kind of feel like no. It is, and it's funny, and I'm not going to go straight into like quoting human or self help books or anything like that, but. Yes, you are. Yes, I am. <laughs> but there is a, there's an old kind of adage that I live by that says, beware extreme ideologies. And it's when you, when you bump into people that just don't have the depth to even consider another person's way of thinking or point of view, those are dangerous people. They really are. Because I honestly think one of the first things that you should do if you're in any sort of argument or you feel, you feel strongly one way is you need to quickly try to understand the other person's point of view. Oh, I was going to say, throw the first punch. Throw the first <laughs> <laughs> That, too. I mean, if, you're, if it's going to come to blows, I think you want to be the first one to, 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 to trade paint, you know. But I do think that it's a dangerous way of existing in a lot of ways, to be honest. If the whole notion that you just can't, you've got blind, blinders on permanently, you can't. It's like if you, if you radically disagree with Hillary Clinton, for instance, I would argue that you should maybe like skim or book. And I know you think I'm crazy, but you kind of want to know what the psychosis is, what the craziness is, what, what is she so strong, what are her feelings so strong about? And I think that that's what I saw. Well, it kind of reminds you of politics. It does about. remind you of politics. And I think that it's smart to know what the other person thinks. I really do. I mean, I think it's smart to know what the other person's trying to say, man. And that is something that we didn't get a whole lot of over the course of the last couple days. As you guys well know, and welcome to uh, episode number two, the Wes Buck Show. Wes Buck here alongside the one and only Murder Tundra. We are uh, very excited to have you. We have a special guest this afternoon. We're going to be talking with the first ever NHRA Mountain Motor Pro Stock Shootout Series winner, John DeFlorian, who scored the, the series first ever NHRA Wally Trophy. A really special moment that I was very excited to be a very minuscule, small part of this past weekend at the NHRA Spring Nationals in Houston, Texas. We're going to talk about all sorts of race results, all sorts of happenings, but of course, we probably got to dive right into this whole situation with the timing system. Oh, and I heard you were announcing this weekend. Yeah, man. I, I, I tried my hand. I am a magnet. I said this on the PA in front of many thousands, but I am a magnet for volunteer work. <laughs> you, I mean, you've got a job that pays nothing. I'm there. The, if it pays nothing... I'm in. Count me in. I'm the first one in line to do a job that pays nothing. It's a little bit of a flaw. However, quality control down at Woostock. Yes, doing quality control over at Woostock, Darlington Dragway. Got a little wet out there, but you guys still managed to throw a big party and have a lot of fun, right? We had a lot of fun. And that's all that matters, man. That's one of the things that we talk about on the show and we've talked about for years and years and years, but people do forget that this is supposed to be like a good time, yeah. right? We, we all go drag racing looking to have fun. And you it say seems free beer? like. And people want to have fun. 
Whenever you sent me that video of the people coming out of their seats in the grandstands oh to God. go get the free beer, yeah. man, I thought that might have been one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. It's just because that's what happens, man. I almost think that that should be a – that's a marketing strategy that a lot of people should consider. Even if you did 500 free beers, it's 300 bucks. It's literally not a big expense. It's cheaper than a radio ad. It's cheaper than a billboard. Keith Barry couldn't do 500 beers. He had to do 1,300. 1,350, basically. 1,350 beers. So tip of the cap to Keith Barry, the woo man himself. It was, it was quite the ordeal, man. And I'm, I really appreciate Keith having you out, man. I wish I could have been there. I was committed to the Mount Motor Pro Stock deal in Houston, Texas, so I had to go down there and be a part of it. And I wanted to go down there and be a part of it. It's a lot of issues with this past weekend. A lot. One of the issues being overlooked, however is that there are all these races stacked on top of each other. And that's just tough. Obviously, the NHRA, their schedule, I think the NHRA, as I wrote in that article on dragillustrated.com the other day, they're the gold standard. No matter where you fall, no matter where your loyalties lie, no matter what kind of racing you're into, the NHRA is the gold standard. I hated to see both of those events on top of the NHRA Spring Nationals, which is historically a pro-mod race and just a very well-attended race for the NHRA. So I hated to see that, and I definitely hated to see Tyler Cross knows Outlaw Street Car Reunion on top of Keith Barry's womb stock. I, I really hope that's something that can be yeah, sorted out I'll at some point in the future because I love both those guys. I love both those events. I think there's a lot of people that are torn, either sat out entirely, didn't go to either, or just kind of found themselves in an awkward position over the weekend. Obviously, however, I don't know that anybody found themselves in more awkward of a position than uh, what's going We got a heck of a crowd here. I got to be careful. I'm going to get turned away to watching the, the comments. We're trying to avoid this. For those of you that don't know, the, the, the West Buck Show, it's now available on iTunes. You can log on uh, to uh, iTunes and, and search for The West Buck Show. It's on the WB. It's on the WB. <laughs> and you can download this and you can listen along on uh, any of your mobile devices. You don't have to listen to it live. I've known for a long time that we needed to do this because, in all honesty, it's hard to watch the show on Facebook. You know what I mean? It, it, it ties up your phone. You can't navigate Somebody away from it. You, right? Somebody texts you Somebody and messes you up. And I appreciate so much the fact that we've had thousands of viewers for two years that have had to work that hard to watch the show. Really means a lot. So all you over-the-road truckers and all you truck drivers that you know flag me down at national events and you guys working in loud shops wearing earbuds... I really appreciate that you guys have fought the good fight, but we have we have figured it out for you, my friends. We fixed it. You can now download the show, listen in via you know anytime you want. You can come back and check it out, and I will do a little bit of a Q and A at some point today with our with our viewers online. But I, there's there's so much to talk about with this with this deal with the three fifty nine nine run. So I'm going to talk about it just honestly, and I think that that's. I think that's only fair, and I, and I will admit, I'm going to kind of bag on myself here a little bit, a little self-deprecation. I love doing that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you do, Murder Tantra. This stuff's very difficult, and I find myself in a very difficult position on a, on a regular basis working in the motorsports media. Working with Drag Illustrated and having this media outlet that we do that I feel like we have... We have done our best for f almost 15 years to be unbiased, to sing basically universal praises. I mean, what you find with us is that we try to sing the praises of everyone. However, when situ situations such as this come up, you're, almost, you're forced to, to report the news, 
right? You're forced to report what happened. So our initial reaction when the 359 run j happened, Jamie Hancock's 359 run happened, of course I get like 60 texts in a matter of minutes, which I hope everyone can, the first layer to this is just how many people care about radial tire racing. That's a huge thing. I can't, John Force could probably go 350 and I would hear less about it than I did the Hancock's 359 run this past weekend at Beach Bend Raceway in Bowling Green, Kentucky. So, really says a lot about the state of the sport of drag racing, what's hot, what's not. The thing that I... We get put in a lot of tough situations, right? And I don't want to... I want to give a, a shout-out to Craig Cook, who knocked out a great article in rapid order. It's tough to, to deal with deadlines and to deal with editors breathing down your neck saying, hey, how quick can you get this story to me? Get quotes, get quotes, call, call, call. And he did a fantastic job getting the story. We posted it up. It got like 7,000 shares. Almost crashed our server on our website. It was such big news, right? Then we start to dive into this deal a little bit. And I'll be honest with you guys. For those of you that, are, that don't know me that well or haven't watched the show a lot, I have experience as a track operator and a track promoter. So we put on our own event, the Drag Illustrated World Series of Pro Mod. We're headed into our third year here with the biggest, richest Pro Mod drag race in the history of the known universe. 100,000 to win, winner take all, Pro Mod shootout, Vandermeer Speedway. But 15 years ago, at the age of 21, I was also the IHRA's youngest track operator in history. And I was the general manager of Eddyville Raceway Park, a small little eighth-mile drag strip in southeast Iowa. It was my first real job in drag racing. It was something I certainly wasn't prepared for, and I was most assuredly thrown to the wolves, but it was probably one of the best experiences of my life because I faced a situation similar to the one that was being, uh, that, that presented itself at, at the Outlaw Streetcar reunion very early in my career. In the summer, of, in June of 2005, I had some racers out of Minnesota come down with a, a really nice, uh, McCamus bodied 68 Camaro, nitrous deal, 706, really a really nice car. At that time, it ran like 430s, which was fast in 2005, especially in the Midwest, a car out of Minnesota. Anyways, we had the same issue with these crazy 60 foot times, crazy ETs, back split numbers that didn't really stand up to any sort of, you know, serious scrutiny. And one of the telltale signs was these 240 lights and 140 lights and these really slow reaction times. So I got to be honest that my, I didn't believe the runs initially. I mean, I don't want to lie to anybody. I, I don't want anyone to think, I just didn't, it, it seemed questionable to me. I understand that, that these guys are making huge strides. I understand that things are happening really fast, but when I saw the time slip, um, the time slip in question I'm actually sharing on the screen right now. I see this 123 reaction time. I see this 894 60 foot. I see this 359 198 deal. And for me, just to try to wrap my head around the fact that someone was able to pick up almost a tenth from their career best run, I was just struggling with it. However, I wasn't going to rule it out. And I was also being put into a weird position that if it was going to be acknowledged by the masses, if everybody was going to sign on and accept this, it was going to be really tough for us to take some sort of stand just based on gut instinct. So we started down the path of making phone calls, talking to professionals, talking to experts. I've talked to everybody from Bob Brockmeyer at CompuLink Timing Systems. I talked to Larry Crisp at Vandermeer Speedway, a world-renowned track operator, track you know, management and kind of operations specialist. 
His sons are the legendary Traction Twins, Kale and Cody Crisp, responsible for a multitude of, of the biggest advancements in track prep, perhaps of all time, right? Yeah. Murder Tundra. Spoke to a multitude of racers, old and young, associated with fast door slammer racing and not, all across the board. And I was getting a lot of mixed opinions, man. And I, and I got a couple of things I got to say about it. Going back to the passion that exists amongst drag racers, this stuff is crazy, man. I, I looked at the photos, and it there's like a physiological response that happens when we like hit a slot machine. When I was in Vegas a couple of weeks ago, I won 600 bucks on a slot machine. It's the most money I've ever won in my life, right? And it was intoxicating. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I literally couldn't wait to put more money in this machine to try again. And I kind of looked at this whole situation this weekend, and I think there's a lot of details that we can talk about with how timing systems work, and we are going to. But man, people get crazy about this stuff in a hurry. And I think that, that was the thing, is how up in arms and how intoxicated everybody seemed to be on this. No one was lukewarm. No one was in the middle. No one was straddling the fence. I mean, it was like grab your torches on both sides of the argument. It yeah, really was. It was. It, it was literally hang them high on both sides of the argument. I couldn't really believe what I was seeing. And the division that happened so fastly, so quickly, excuse me, was a little off-putting. I still feel a little gross about it. I don't know how else to put it. The whole way this thing happened across the board for really everybody. I think there's a lot of people that played a role in this. And it... It just was a messy deal. I hate the way some of it played out. I do think that it speaks to an issue that exists within, within our society, that everybody needs everything to happen right now. I told anyone who would listen that I really felt like this situation would sort itself out in a few days. Right? Most people that operate in our industry were at a racetrack this weekend. Right? Yeah. The people who could speak about this with authority were running drag races. We're at events. Bob Brockmeyer from CompuLink was in Houston. I saw him. He was there. He was in the tower with me. Larry Crisp from Bandemir Speedway was getting ready to go deliver a tractor to a racetrack in Great Bend, Kansas. People are busy. And I think that the, the need for it to be sorted out instantaneously was a big catalyst kind of for the big nightmare. You know, the big explosion and all these people up in arms. I do think that that bummed me out in a lot of ways. Because I think if we would have just pumped the brakes for a minute, cooler heads would have prevailed. People would have continued to dissect this. And there still would be division right now, right? There'd still be people that believed when Jamie Hancock's Firebird tripped the beams in Beach Bend, Kentucky, that that 359 with a 9, 198, what would have been the first ever 3.5 second sub 360 run for a nitrous door slammer of any kind, radials, big tires, bars, no bars, doesn't matter. I truly think that no matter how much hubbub had happened and how much enthusiasm and how much energy had happened, rightfully or wrongfully, I do think what happened was going to happen. I truly do. And I know that there's probably some people that disagree with that. There's probably some people that felt like if there wasn't a big uproar, it would have just been accepted. I disagree. I think that you have to give people time to digest it. You have to give people time to do their due diligence. Analyze it. 
analyze it, make some phone calls, and I think a decision would have been ma- made at some point, that, which is where we've arrived at, that the run was invalid. I venture to say there are still some people that buy it. There are still some people that believe it, in my opinion. But, and I said that to Tyler Crossnow, because I, I, I believe very much in Tyler. I, I, we've supported him. He was in our inaugural Drag Illustrated 30 Under 30 class in 2015. We've awesome been a big fan, a big fan of Tyler's for a long time. I think he's a super talented track prep guy. I applauded the PDRA for putting him in a position of power. I really, 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 really care about Tyler, and I like Tyler a lot. But I, I told him, because I didn't want to be, I told him, I don't want to lie to you. I don't want you to think that I think that that run is good. I just don't. I think that there was an issue. One of the issues that exist is, now that we know the guard beams weren't active, is that, that's most assuredly a problem. It was, an, from what I understand, it was an inadvertent oversight. That's the way it was explained to me. I think moving forward... When, when there are a multitude of inconsistencies like that murder tundra, I think that's really where the problem is. I think if there would have been one run that was questionable or two, and it could have been kind of a coin flip type of situation, but when there were multiple runs and all of this was happening, I think really anyone, and this was tough for me because I got in some like kind of heated discussions with some people that I really think highly of, but it just felt like common logic, a little bit of common sense, I can't really explain how much of a gain that is. To, I, I do, we could talk about this for hours, but there's the amount of, the increase of performance that was demonstrated there is very hard to wrap your head around. And I'm going to tell you guys this. This is no joke. I put that time slip in front of Bob Brockmeyer, and I put that time slip in front of Larry Crisp, explain the circumstances. They didn't consider it as a real thing for five seconds. Not for five seconds. They were matter-of-fact. They were extremely conclusive about it. There was zero, zero doubt in their mind that this was an invalid run. So, I hope everybody's able to kind of take a step back here and go, like, my goodness, we've got we've to settle down a little bit. Too bad people wouldn't get this excited about who won a race. That's another thing, because internally here at Drag Illustrated, we really feel like this has brought to light how drunk we all are on these records. It's ridiculous. We have arrived at a point where, I mean, I think if you ask around, you may think that, like, Marcus Burt won the Sweet 16 because he went 360 with a Ford in a nitrous car, and it was all over the Internet, everywhere. Matter of fact, Marcus went live immediately after the race, and I'm not bagging on Marcus, I'm just, this is a fact, you couldn't have told from his demeanor and his mood and his enthusiasm that they lost the race and blew an engine up, right? He was so excited that they've got the baddest nitrous car on the planet Earth, that, that trumps everything to this group of people. And I just, part of me gets salty about it. There was a couple of years ago that I went on a big tirade here on the show about, we're not land speed racing here. I, tr- I really think that if this is where we're at, if this is what everybody wants to do, buy those baby moon hubcaps, <laughs> right? Put them over your beadlocks and, and go to the salt flats. Get out of here. You don't want a drag race. And it's just, this is an epidemic. It is. 
it's an epidemic. It's a real problem that we have arrived at a point. The record setting should be icing on the cake. Some of the best drag racing you're going to see in 2019 is going to happen this summer. In the, in, in the heat, on sticky racetracks that are marginal, where guys are really having to scramble to, to figure out their tune-up. And the fact that we want to act like races just... And everybody's guilty of this. I mean, we, we certainly play a role in the media. Not just Drag Illustrated, but everybody. Dragzine, Competition Plus. Uh, I mean, everybody... There's, we all go nuts when these runs happen, right? Somebody sitting by a computer or on an iPhone can't wait to make the graphic with the freaking gigantic numbers across a picture of a car, right? Cannot wait. And it feels like all of this, we've arrived at a point where it overshadows who won. Yes. It really does. I mean, these, this radial racing has become all about the records, all about the records, we run 27 time trials, right? We, we do everything we can to make sure that a record falls. And all these events are defined by, I mean, we will modify the event. We will modify the structure of an event. We will modify the schedule of an event to make sure that we are racing in superb, supreme racing conditions. It's a problem. It's a problem. And I think that we are just going to continue down this rabbit hole until we're out of things to talk, until we're out of records to set. And I think we are damn close. There are those that would argue we're going to see 340s in Radio vs. the World within the next 12 months. Wow. But I don't know that we'll see 330s. I don't know that we'll see 320s. I mean, I can't imagine. I can't imagine a world where that's possible. I really can't. So what happens? Does this whole, is, is the growth and enthusiasm and excitement that surrounds radio racing, is it really all about the scoreboard? Is it really all about land speed re- records? To me, it's not. To me, it's not either. I mean, I look at guys like Alex Laughlin, who wins the freaking big race on a lights-out 10 on a hole shot, right? That, that is a, for me, personally... That's the stuff I, I remember. That's the yeah. stuff that I remember. I think that's an incredible storyline. However, I think there are probably people... We're all guilty, because everybody remembers when Kenny Bernstein went 300 miles an hour, but nobody remembers who won the race, right? And I think that that's, that's what we're facing here. So this isn't any sort of new issue, I don't believe, but I do believe it's, it's as big of an issue as it's ever been. Where do we go from here? There's massive division in the radio racing world right now. And everybody wants, and I think that this is what I would like to kind of dive into for a few minutes here, and I'm going to pull up my notes. But I do think that for the uninitiated, I think that there should be, because it's like if we're going to consider everything I just said and this whole issue that exists where everybody wants to talk about the records, we better make sure our shit's right. If you're putting on a drag race in 2019 after this weekend, you better be, you better have a protocol in place. And I, I'm going to tell you that if I'm putting on an event, and I would advise anybody out there that's involved in this whole scene, in this day and age of social media, the internet, everybody having a voice, everybody having a pulpit, I would be using the NHRA's prot- protocol, which would be to... There's, there's basically a three-pronged system 
where you're going to have your timing system. You're going to have the timing system computer set to CompuLink or whatever to be calibrated and tested. Right? It's speeds tested. Secondly, you're going to metal tape the track. You're not going to use like a string. Or you're not going to eyeball it. You're not going to use an app on your iPhone. Right? You're going to use a metal tape, and you're going to measure all the distances that are being measured that weekend. You're going to measure the rollout. You're going to measure the staging beams for the uninitiated as well. Pre-stage the stage is seven inches. That guard, get guard beam that should be on, right? I think it's, what is it? Hold on, I wrote it down somewhere. 13 and 3 eighths, I think is what it is. It used to be 16 inches. People don't understand even what that is. And it's to protect you from the uh, one revolution of a tire, rolling the car forward. And if, if your car breaks that next beam, the clocks are going to start. You see what I'm saying? So that we don't have these inaccuracies. But you're going to have a metal tape of all your distances. So, and I think that that's something that needs to happen. Matter of fact, if I'm Tyler, Donald, any of these guys that put on races that are notorious for records being set, I'm, I'm going to video it. And it's funny because, and I'll tell a little sideline story here. Earlier this year, I was working with the Guinness World, the Guinness, what's that called? The Guinness Book of World Records, right? So I contacted a representative in New York City, and I went, I, I mean, we, how many calls did we have? Oh, like, we had multiple meetings, right? Because Wes wanted to attempt the world's longest burnout, and I wanted to understand how it worked, because I didn't want to do the aforementioned world's longest burnout if I wasn't going to get one of them dope plaques. It'd look awesome on the wall in here. That's literally, I mean, I knew we could go out and do a long burnout, but I wanted to make sure that if I did a long burnout, that I would get a plaque for it. Because, I mean, I, we just put it right under that painting right there. Maybe swap them, put the Guinness World Record thing. Oh, we'd burn that painting and put it right there. Yeah, we'd put it right there. Regardless, you would be blown away how much work goes into having, to getting a Guinness World Record. It's unbelievable. And this is for a silly book, right? But you literally have to, you have to have qualified surveyors brought in. You have to have photo and video proof. Can't have one or the other. Have to have both. Have to submit all of this to them for their in-depth review process. And if you want to expedite the whole deal and you want to be verified on the spot for 10 grand, $10,000, the Guinness World Records people will fly in their own surveyor, their own people, their own evidence checker, and they will do it right on the spot. But if I'm putting on a drag race that is going to be producing records or happens in the spring or happens in the fall and has a history of setting records, you can bet your ass that I'm going to be videotaped. Not tape. Nobody uses tape anymore. I'm going to be videoed, <laughs> Right? measuring this track. There's just no possible way that I would even consider it at this point in time. Then I would also, you would also need to check out all your infrareds, make sure they're all lined up, make sure they're at a consistent height, which is the, the, the universal standard is an inch and five-eighths. I saw it thrown around a lot the last couple days as two inches. The issue that comes into play with these timing systems or these racetracks is as they age, if they crown, you know what I mean? You may have to adjust those. The main thing on the height of those infrared cells is that it's consistent across the board. Every sensor needs to be a consistent height. So, but the, the procedure, the protocol is an inch and five-eighths. So 
there's a lot people don't understand even how this stuff works. And my and I'll tell you guys my here's what I thought happened. I thought in Bowling Green, being that these runs were produced right after, and this is before I had talked to anybody really. So the effective let me try to set this up. It rained in Bowling Green, right? Complete washout. So what do they do after they have a complete washout, right? They prep the track. They dry the track. They prep the track. So this is what I thought had happened in my mind. Okay, it rains all day, lose a day, lots of moisture in the air. Then we're going to prep the track. So my thought was moisture on, because all those... All those infrared receivers are is a lens. What are you laughing about, Murder Tundra? Oh, altitude. All those infrared receivers are is a lens. So what happens right now, JT, if you walk outside with your sunglasses on? It's cold in here, and it's warm outside. They'll fog up. They'll fog up, right? So the same thing happens with these, with these infrared receivers. There's also a situation in that the effective beam that these things emit, it can change, right? The effective beam diameter, which is supposed to be, the effective beam diameter of one of these infrared sensors is supposed to be just under an eighth of an inch, like a hundred thousandths, right? So like a, a laser beam, a laser beam. Laser beams. <laughs> it's supposed to be like a laser beam, under a hundred thousandths, like right at an, under an eighth of an inch, right? However, when you have moisture in the air, but you have moisture on one of those lenses, the effective beam diameter can grow to like an inch. It can grow. This is like a, a relatively common thing that kind of happens a lot of times. It happened at Pomona at the NHRA National Event in Pomona like 10 years ago. They were having some inconsistencies on the starting line with some cars going red, some weird stuff happening on the starting line, and they, they, they identified it as a moisture issue. These lenses being fogged up. So my, my thought was, this is a perfect storm for bad numbers. We just drive the track, so water's flying around everywhere. They got blowers on everything, right? Then, to make matters worse, we're going to go prep the holy hell out of this racetrack. We're going to glue this thing wall to wall. Everything's going to be slick and shiny, like a radial racetrack's supposed to be, to be good. And we're going to have literally a perfect storm for crap to go wrong because that's a whole other issue that I don't think is paid is closely paid attention to those infrared beams are designed to be cast across flat black matte surfaces not super shiny surfaces Brock Meyer Bob Brock Meyer at CompuLink his his analogy or his example to me was a, a beam of sunlight hitting a calm lake mm -hmm. and how it casts that light in multitude of directions. That same type of thing can happen with a timing system's infrared beam. So I don't know that people fully understand the complexity of this stuff. I was stunned by how many people don't really understand how it works. They don't understand the distances. They don't know what's supposed to happen. They don't know... And for me, I go back to it again. When I see this happened to me this weekend in, during Mountain Motor Pro Stock, 
I was announcing, and huge shout-out to the NHRA, the National Hot Rod Association, and I'll start at the top. I mean, Glenn Cromwell, Ned Walliser for allowing me to come into the booth and announce Alan Reinhardt, Joe Costello, Lewis Bloom for, for being okay with it and let, welcoming me in like they did, as well as the, the one and only John Waldy, who actually kind of handed over his job to me for the weekend. He typically announces the NHRA Pro Mod races, so I really appreciate John being cool with me diving in there and running my mouth like I love to do. But it was very interesting. During qualifying for the Mountain Motor Pro Stock cars, J.R. Carr, who has a bad, fast hot rod and came into this race very much focused on running well, maybe resetting the record, whatever the case may be. I'm in the tower, microphone in my hand, Murder Tundra, literally. J.R. Carr, for those that don't know how you stage one of those cars, you grab a couple hundred pounds of brake pressure, right? Mm-hmm. With, your, with your thumb or if, you're, if your line lock's on the shifter or if it's on the steering wheel, you grab a couple hundred pounds of brake pressure and once you light the top bulb, and then you use the centrifugal force of the clutch, right? You know, you, you start to bring the motor up, and you start to let out of the clutch and drag the car in to light the, the bottom bulb to stage the car, right? Then you mat it, deck it, and drop the bomb on it. Start grabbing gears, right? So JR car rolls in, n- normal deal, grabs a brake, line lock, starts to bring the motor up, and the car kind of rocks, doesn't ro- it rocks in, lights the bottom bulb, rocks back out. So he lets out of the gas, kind of slight, I'm not trying to say that he was like flustered or whatever, but caught him off guard. This is a qualifying run, no harm, no foul. So he rolls all the way in, decks it, and proceeds to run a 620, which clips the world record by 200s. And I mean, his family, Frank Gugliotta, his crew chief, everybody down there is freaking backflipping crying, screaming, high fives everywhere. Everybody's going insane, right? And I've got the mic in my hand, and I'm literally stunned, right? Because I'd seen a 625. I think the Florian had just went 625. No, no, he's getting ready to go 625. Regardless, I was not ready for, this, for a record to be set. So I'm looking at the scoreboard, 620. And I look down at the, the CompuLink timing system screen inside the tower, and I see a 2.40 reaction time, right? It's a proje- professional drag racer right here. He's got a 2.40 light. And then I see that it's got a 9.08 60-foot time. The same mountain motor, naturally aspirated pro stock car. So Alan Reinhardt, and I'm not bagging on Alan, but Alan is going bonkers over here. And me, and apparently this is a little bit of a faux pas that I messed up on as far as announcing goes, I just come over the PA and say that I think there's probably some issues with that run, being that there's a 240 reaction time and a 908 60 foot. And, you know, Alan kills his mic and points to me to kill my mic. And he looks at me and I'm kind of gathering that we don't tell the world that a run is not good until everybody knows it's until we know it's not good. Call him BS on that one. Well, and that's basically, I was like, nah, I'm not really sure, ladies and gentlemen, that that's going to stand. That's a very fast 60-foot time. I've never, you know, not familiar with anybody ever, you know, recording a 60-foot time even remotely close to that. So we kill the mics, and I was like, what's a good 60-foot for one of those cars? And I'm like, well, 980 is what everybody's been going this weekend. So 908 or whatever is basically the shot heard around the world. That's probably more impressive than anything else that happened. Brock my, and I said, there's no way that runs good, Alan. I swear to God, there's no way that runs good. Well, I don't know. They've been running pretty good all weekend. And that, you know, until we know otherwise. And I said, well, I would bet everything I own that that run was no good. And Brockmeyer, 
Bob Brockmeyer from CompuLink sticks his timing head in, and this dude doesn't know me from Adam. I mean, he knows me, but we're not like pals. I don't know that he knew who I was sitting there. I met him. He sticks his head in, and he's like, yeah, that run's no good. And he just walks off. And it was so, he was so matter-of-fact about it, and it just kind of made me laugh because, man, what a zoo the last few days was, or had been. What a, what a mess the last few days were. But here we got this guy who, like, that run's no good. See you guys later. I'm going to go back over here and eat my lunch. And he did. He literally walked back over to the corner of the tower and started eating his lunch. He didn't <laughs> dwell over it, go nuts on Facebook. He's like, yeah, on to the next one, you know? So, anyways, it was a very interesting situation. And I, I hate it for Jamie Hancock because I love Jamie Hancock. I love James Hancock. I, I, love, I love that whole team. I love Luis from Fuel Tech. I got relationships with these guys that go way back. We put Jamie Hancock on the cover of Drag Illustrated in 2007 when he won the ADRL Pro Nitrous World Championship. I mean, I'm a big fan. We sent Bubba Smooth, AKA, or Jason Sharp, a.k.a. Bubba Smooth, down to uh, their house. He spent the day with them. I mean, we, we, we invested a lot of time and energy in that, and we've been big fans of his ever since. And I'm not saying that he didn't make a hell of a run right there. It just stinks that we're never really going to know. And I guess I hope that everybody is able to kind of take a couple of steps back here and say, if he can do it once, he can do it again. If he can run low 60s, or if he can dive well into the 60s, or maybe he can crack the 50 barrier. He's going to have plenty of opportunities to do it again. Unfortunately, it may not come until this fall. You know, you may not have conditions that allow it again until the fall or whatever, but I think we all wish Jamie well. I love this guy. I think, you know, and I hope everybody's able to kind of rebound from this mess. Yeah, I think it got way out of hand in a really big hurry, and I do think that sometimes we have to just be a little more patient. It was definitely handled wrong, I thought, you know, personally. It was handled wrong. I mean, again, I know there are going to be people that would argue that, you know, Maybe Brock Meyer never gets called if there wasn't all this drama. But I disagree. I literally was just trying to get home from Houston. I had my hands full. I'm trying to announce a race. I'm trying to run around and make sure this whole Mountain Motor Pro Stock deal goes off without a hitch. I, we had a lot of stuff going on in Houston this weekend. And I'm, I knew that this thing would get addressed in the next few days. And I think that cooler heads have prevailed. The information's out there. I mean, I think we have a very decisive conclusion to this situation now. The thing that really sucks about it is just the way that it was as if this event never happened. That's a bummer of a deal that, that Tyler has to, to think that we're just going to treat this entire race like it didn't happen. I mean, if I can't imagine how I would feel if, like, for instance, the World Series of Pro Mod just didn't happen. I had to look back on 2018 and just say, you know what? Turns out that didn't happen. I hate it for Tyler. I hope that he's able to, to rebound from this. And he's got a lot of great people around him, starting you know, with his family and friends, but most assuredly the PDRA family. He's got a ton of people supporting him, and I, I really hope this deal all works out for the best. But it's, it's probably going to be a little bit, and I can tell things are going to continue to be salty for a while. There's, it seems like there's a lot of people that are pouring salt in an open wound. There's a lot of people keeping the pot stirred up and trying to keep everybody honest. And maybe a certain amount of that's fine. I know that I certainly expected it, but I don't know. It's, it's not going to help anything for the, it, here in the immediate future. So tough deal, man. Really, really tough deal for, what is this? Really tough deal, I think, for everybody involved and perhaps no one more so than the Hancocks and Crossnell. 
You know, that it, this is a tough deal. And the, the way they, they, they kind of went to bat for it and then had to kind of recant, it's a tough situation. I've, for me, it was a first. It was the first time I'd ever seen anything like this in my career. I've seen questionable numbers, but I've never seen it really reach this kind of height. But anyways, I don't know if there's much more to say about it, is there? Nope. Let's move on. Let's move on. We're way behind, man. I will say that I do think I would encourage, again, everybody to, if you're putting on a race, make sure these things are right because the price you pay if they're wrong is severe, especially in this day and age. The price you pay if something doesn't go exactly according to plan. And I, society right now is very unforgiving, just in general. If, you, if you're a waitress and you get gypped on a tip, you're going to post about it on Facebook. Yeah, it's, it's been going on since people, tipping was allowed, yeah. right? If you get sat a in a middle seat on a plane, you're going to bitch about it on the Internet. Yeah. It's just what you're going to do. So it's no surprise. I don't know that it's a very great thing. I don't think it's a wonderful thing. I think that everybody's provided a voice, and I don't know that we should always use it, right? I don't – obviously – it's a little cliche to say if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. But I do think we could all possibly learn a little bit from this type of situation and what goes wrong when everybody grabs their pitchforks and torches. And There's a lot of people that don't, in this, in this day and age, they don't realize the repercussions. of a, like, You should say something to somebody. And if it offended them, you might get smacked upside the head. Yeah, you know, I think that that's the biggest now issue. You can say it on the internet and whatever. Well, it's like, what's that guy that got in all the trouble on stand-up comedy? Louis C.K. Louis C.K. He does this bit where he talks about how during his day and my day and your day, if you called Timmy fat at the lunchroom table in the cafeteria, you ran the risk of Timmy knocking your teeth down your throat. Right now, though, in this day and age that we live in, in this hyper-connected world we live in, you can call Timmy fat and never even have to see him, never have to be in his presence, never have to face any sort of consequences physically. What's worse, however, is that you can do it without empathy because there's another part of it. When you called little Timmy fat at the lunchroom table, not only did you risk getting your ass beat, you had to see it. You had to see it hurt him. You had to see the look in his eyes. You had to see how it made him feel, right? Yeah. You had to, and that's not fun. I mean, I'm sure every one of us red-blooded Americans have, have done it. We've said something we regret. We've seen how it made someone feel and, and backpedaled. You do it probably every, every, every three days. No, but it's, it's true, right? And without that, and I think that that's like kind of the, what's going on on the internet, right? Is that you're able to basically say whatever you want, and you're not going to have to answer for it. You're never, there's never going to be any sort of drama. You may never see this person again. And that was, the, that was one of the things I think that disappointed me the most about everything that happened this past weekend, is that every time I talked to somebody, they hadn't talked to anybody else. Like, hey, A, have you talked to B? No. Hey, B, have you talked to C? No. Hey, D, have you talked to E, F, and G? No. How should it first started? Right? And I was shocked that, like, I was all the way down to, like, 
Q and R before I talked to anybody that had messaged or communicated with one another. And it's like, man, this is a pretty small community, right? It's, it seems big at times, but there's probably not anybody in the drag racing world that we can't get a hold of in the next half hour, right? That's alive. Most of them are readily available. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, seriously, we could get a hold of Don Garlitz right now. John Forrest, right now. Ned Wallace at the NHRA, right now. Tommy Franklin at the PDRA, right now. Steve Wolcott, NMCA, right now. Larry Chris, Bob Brockmeyer. This, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's not, and that's the thing, and I think that that's probably what sucks the most about this is how everybody can't wait for this. They can't wait for the big blow up. They can't wait for the train wreck. They can't wait. I mean, you see all the comments, everybody eating popcorn, can't wait, can't wait to see things pop off. And that, that's not cool, man. I mean, it, it's not great for this whole make drag racing great again thing. It seems like more people used our line in the last three or four days than in the last two or three years. But making drag racing great again for people that, A, drag racing is already great. When we made those bracelets and we, we, when we got those shirts made, there were people that sent me nasty emails going, drag racing is already great. Well, no shit. <laughs> Clearly, I think drag racing is pretty great. Yeah, you're kind of invested. Right? You know? Pretty invested, man. I, I'm pretty proud of the sport of drag racing. But it's a rallying cry. It's a reminder that it's a work in progress. America is great right? You couldn't tell me five years ago, 15 years ago, five minutes ago, at any point in time that America is not great. America was great during the Great Depression. America is great. The idea of America is great. Drag racing is great. The rallying cry that is make drag racing great again, in my opinion, is just a reminder that it's a work in progress. It's something that we've got to be working towards all the time. And what this past weekend, the behavior across the board really and I think everybody plays a little bit of a role in how this worked out. There's, there's responsibility and guilt to go around, is what I'm saying, right? No one, no one, none of this helped our sport in any way, shape, or form. I understand there was integrity on the line and this, that, and the other, but I have more faith than that. I just do. I have more faith than that. I have more faith that things would have worked out the way they were supposed to, that, I mean, common logic was going to prevail, right? I just, I truly do, and it was, uh, yeah, that's all I got to say about, there's a lot of good things going on in the sport of drag racing right now. Like, oh my good God, right? So many good things going on in the sport of drag racing right now. There was a ton of them happened. I mean, you got race promoters like Keith Berry buying 14, nearly 1,400 beers to give away to race fans at an outlaw no-time event in Darlington, South Carolina. We right. had fun. You got, I mean, you have Tyler Crossno paying out an entire payout, from what I understand. The entire purse awesome. to the racers that showed up to support the Outlaw Streetcar Union. That type of thing doesn't happen, right? Look at all the good things that are going on right now. We got Stevie Jackson, whom I believe is God's gift to drag racing. Literally, like, him and Jesus have got to be close. And you give me crap, 
saying I'm a fan. Listen, I'm a big fan of Stevie Jackson. We got Stevie Jackson, Billy Stockin, Billy Stockland, the Dixie Button Down Mafia, Dickie, not Dixie, Dixie Cups, Dickie Dixie Pants, cups, yeah, two different things. <laughs> the Dickie Button Down Mafia. These guys are literally kicking ass and taking names in NHRA Pro Mod. We got 570 bump spots, not flat, but we got. We have so many good things going on in the sport of drag racing that I am just devastated that we've had to spend an hour of this show, 49 minutes and 25 seconds, somehow, some way, trying to put this fire out, right? And I hope, I hope that that's what we have accomplished at some level, that we can start to move on, rebuild. Rebuild. <laughs> we can rebuild. We can move on to another day. Because guess what? There's going to be a drag race this weekend. There's probably one going on tonight. There's probably a test and tune going on somewhere tonight. Guaranteed. There's probably a big race going on Thursday night. The NHRA rolls into Charlotte in a week. I mean, there's so many things going on in the sport of drag racing right now. Radio Fest coming up at Huntsville. I mean, there's, there's, there's so many drag races. There's so many things going on that we've got to continue to move forward. And I, and, but I don't want to say that we can't just let every... Because I know someone's going to bag on me or shoot me a text or whatever. I'm not saying we can let bogus runs stand. No. We can't. We cannot. And we have to be willing to eat crow or whatever is required to make sure. I mean, there's no, I'm not saying that we should have let that run stand. I'm just saying I think the reaction to it and the way this whole thing went was just really ugly and was a bummer. It was just a bummer. It was just a bummer of a couple of days. My wife, Alicia, would look at me like, why are you on your phone? Why are you texting so many people? What are you doing? My wife was too. You know, like, what are you doing? Who are you texting? You just got home from a race. Haven't you had enough? Are you playing that drag racing game? Haven't you had enough? And I'm like, well, there's all this stuff going on. Everybody's all mad. It's, everybody's up in arms, you know? But anyways, man, it's... Uh... <laughs> and I got some videos sent to me that were like, and you also, that's another thing too. People also don't, it's that extreme ideologies thing. People don't even like understand how video cameras work, shutter speeds, and all these different things that are at play with all this stuff, right? Anyways, I was going to have Bob Brockmeyer on the call today. I was going to bring on Bob Brockmeyer from CompuLink, but it just felt like we were going to beat a dead horse. So let's move on. I'm way behind getting John DeFlorian on the line. I'm not sure that we're even going to be able to get him on the phone at this point, so I apologize if we, if we can't. Let's, uh, can you give uh, John a call and plug him in there, my friend Murder Tundra, and we will, uh, we will keep on keeping on. But interesting weekend in Houston. I do want to bring back the whole thing. I was so excited to get to announce. It's been a long time since I've been at the drag strip and felt like kind of genuinely giddy, genuinely excited to do something fun and do something different. To have a responsibility at the racetrack was a ton of fun. I, I enjoyed running back up there to do this, and I, I got to tip my cap to the Al Tucci's and hey, the, the Brian Loneses and everybody, the Lee Sebrings, the, the, the Alan Reinhardts, the Lewis Blooms, the, everybody that's involved with this deal. There are so, announcing's hard work, man. Keeping it together up there, under pressure, feeling like you're not repeating yourself, which I did a lot, or Especially saying the same thing. Like you that doesn't like to talk very much. Right, sure and for someone that. like me who's really private and doesn't want to talk, 
in front of anybody ever. You know, it's a really tough thing. But one of the coolest parts about this past weekend's NHRA Spring Nationals was the addition of Mountain Motor Pro Stock. As many people know, the NHRA reduced the 500 cubic inch Pro Stock schedule for 2019, which was a, by me at least, I know there were some people that were against it. I was very, very, very much in favor of this. I felt like by reducing the economic, the financial burden on these teams that we would see car count go up. It has across the board, I think, participation and enthusiasm, energy, just overall excitement about 500 cubic inch pro stock racing is higher than it has been in, a, in quite a while. But it did admittedly leave some holes for the NHRA's national events to fill, for the NHRA national event team to fill. And I was so excited this December when my phone rang. Ned Walliser was on the other end, NHRA, super high-end guy, wonderful dude that I've got to know really well. Ned Walliser was on the other end of the phone, and I'll tell you, Murder Tundra, typically when Glendora, California shows up on my cell phone, I have to, like, think twice about answering it because there's typically, like, an ass eating on the other end of it. Something's wrong, or I did something wrong, or, or something, hey. something's coming up. So, anyways, a little bit of a tough thing. Turns out I did answer it. Thank goodness it was Ned Walliser saying, hey, I want to bring Mountain Motor Pro Stock to the NHRA. I want to bring 800-inch, manually shifted, naturally aspirated door slammers to the NHRA. Can you help? Over the course of the next several, you know, several weeks and months with, uh, with help from Pat Norsha, John from Ram Clutches, John Monacalvo, longtime pro stock racer, Doug Schreifer from Kazi Racing Engines, and Brad Waddle, and, and a slew of other uh, uh, people, we were able to bring this deal to light. And this past weekend, I believe the 800-inch cars put on a whale of a show. They actually, I think everybody that's involved with the NHRA is probably thinking they're lucky stars that the Mountain Motor cars came down there and put on as good of a show as they did because it was such a valid, such a, a strong addition to the show. And I'm joined right now by the man of the hour himself, perhaps one of the most excitable guys in all of drag racing, if you've seen that video, along with like 50 or 60,000 other people, John DeFlorian, who scored the first ever... NHRA Mountain Motor Pro Stock Shootout Series win this past week in the NHRA Spring Nationals. What's going on, John? Man, I'm living the dream. I'm still on cloud nine, and uh, I don't know that I'll ever come back, come back down from that weekend. That was amazing. Man, when you slapped me on the back, you about knocked the, <laughs> knocked the wind out of me. I, I'm, I'm still kind of walking with a little bit of a kink in my step. You were fired up, John, and I got to tell you, that's the kind of emotion that sells tickets. That's the kind of emotion there is someone, some young man or woman somewhere that watched that video of you reacting and jumping up and down and hugging all your teammates and hugging your wife and hugging your daughter. Someone's going to watch that video that doesn't know a lot about drag racing, and they're going to buy a ticket because of how much you cared about winning. And I want to say, what, what do you make of the group of people around you, the, the, the team you have? I know you've got a whole bunch of volunteer help. You've got guys that are doing this for the love of the game. And just it wasn't just you that was excited. I mean, from the time you guys unloaded that Camaro, uh, Kazi power under the hood, from the time you guys unloaded, it was smiling ear to ear. Just everybody involved with that deal. There's such good energy, man. I was glad to see you guys rewarded like that. Well, thank you. Um, I really appreciate that. Uh, and you mentioned my team, yeah. Um, the team of guys and people we got is just, they're amazing. And it's, it is all friends and volunteers for the most part that come on and do this because they got the same passion I do. They, they just love the sport and, uh, they love going out and doing what we're doing. And then for NHRA to give us that platform to be able to, you know, showcase the Mount Moto Pro Stock class, 
I mean, what else could you possibly ask for? So, um, yeah, there was no reason not to unload out. There was smiles on our faces and uh, thankful to be able to be at the racetrack and uh, and especially to be down there and, and to be at the NHRA race. It was amazing. It was a cool thing to see the, the coming together that's happened. And we've talked about this both on the air and off the air, John. What can you say about this group of pro stock racers? I mean, I know that this is a group that can get – it can get heated, right? This is a group of passionate competitors, guys that are fierce competitors. But at the same time, everyone's willingness to kind of work together to keep this class alive over the course of the last decade. Because there have been times, I'm sure you thought, oh, no, I'm going to have to go build another Nitrous Pro Mod or something because there's not going to be a place to race this mountain motor car. <laughs> well, you're right. There's a lot of truth to that. I mean, there's uh, a few times it looked pretty bleak for us that we actually, you know, went into the winter without a place to race. And, uh, you know, fortunately, through one thing or another, we wound up with a place to go and be able to race. But what you mentioned about this group is is right. This is a special group of people. I mean, I'm going to tell you that the people we race with, uh, we're all friends. We enjoy hanging out as well. We're very fierce competitors. I mean, when we hit the starting lineup, I mean, we want to rip the other guy's teeth out because, I mean, that's why we're there. But when we're back in the pits, if somebody needs something, I mean, they'll help the other person out. And, um, and we do have a lot of you know, pretty wild characters in our class. I mean, we've got some very outspoken people and we got some that just kind of uh, lay underneath the, the, you know, the cover of what's going on and just kind of uh, take it all in. But it's a really diverse group of folks, but a great group of folks. And most importantly, a group that is very passionate about Mount Motor Pro Stock and keeping it alive and keeping it going. And I think you're going to probably see a lot of growth. Um, I can tell you just since this weekend, We've already had several phone calls about some building some brand new cars for the class. So I think that speaks volumes for what's going on here. There's no doubt about it, man. And I got to tell you, I'll, I'll let you in on, on some conversations that I had from Glenn Cromwell, the president of the NHRA himself. I walked into the tower to get ready to announce, I think, like the third or fourth round of qualifying, which how cool for you guys to get four shots at the track, just like a pro category. I mean, just Thank you, NHRA, for that. But I walk into the tower, I make eye contact with the big man himself, Glenn Cromwell, and he goes, hey, Wes, these Mountain Motor Pro Stock cars, they're the real deal. They move around, huh? <laughs> and I said, yeah, they do. They move around. This is a fantastic show. It's a great addition. And I got to say, I know we've had some near misses. Dwayne Rice had a couple near misses. Um, Brad Waddle um, had, a, had a near miss or two, but... Everybody left with their cars, you know, in, in working order, but they did put on a wild and wooly show that really showed how violent these cars are, how much power they make, how hard they are to drive, how, are they, how hard they are to tune. And I just, I don't know that we could have really come out any stronger. And I'm just going to take this brief moment here to just, you know, John, your, yourself, your whole crew, Chris Powers, Elijah Morton, John Monacalvo, Dylan Voss, uh, the whole Enoch Love team, Scott Benham, J.R. Carr, Rick Calger, Dwayne Rice, Brad Waddle. Thank you guys all from the bottom of my heart. There was, there was no qualifying money or anything like that. So for everyone to come out and know that they may go home empty-handed and, and support this deal like they did and put on the show that they did, I hope all of you know how much it means to me and how good I think it was for the sport of drag racing. And I think this is a fantastic building spot. I mean, you guys are headed in a couple of weeks. You will return to the NHRA scene. Pretty quick turnaround for you guys. Go right over to the NHRA Four Wide Nationals at ZMAX Dragway. Before I cut you loose, John, I'd love to know, what, what do you make of your first opportunity to race four wide? Do you think you can make it three in a row? Can you win three? You won the, you won the Mountain Motor ex Exhibition last year in Indianapolis. You win the first ever event in Houston. Do you think you can do three, go three for three? Well, I'm going to tell you right now, I just hope I don't just screw it all up just trying to stage. <laughs> 
because uh, that looks like that's going to be a little bit, a bit challenging, but it ought to be uh, pretty interesting and, and a lot of fun. But just think about that for a minute. Four Mountain Motor Pro Stock cars side by side by side by side going down the racetrack at one time. Now, that's going to be a sight. And look, just think of what that's going to sound like. That's going to be way badass. I can't wait. And I can tell you, we're going to give it everything we got, go down there and uh, try to pull it off again. But, uh, you know, it'll be what it'll be. And uh, it won't be from lack of effort on our part. Um, that's for damn sure. I'm excited about it. I can't wait to get down there and uh, get out there and, you know, get our team out there and get it exposed. We got great exposure from this first race and this first event. And uh, I, I think the next one's probably going to be more because it did go over so well at the first one. I agree. And in closing notes here, the last thing I just, one thing that I noticed and I was surprised by, and you guys were well back there kind of in the, in the you know, behind the ProMod cars, right out there with the top alcohol cars. So it's a pretty good little hike from the grandstands. I'm just trying to set the stage here. This is not a derogatory comment. It's just a fact. A little bit mm -hmm. of a hike, but I was stunned by how many people were over in the pits. Were you, were you at all shocked by how many people were over? 100%. These things over and, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, where the hell are all these people walking all the way down here? I was blown away. And then the really cool part about it is, is most of them were very respectful, and they were standing behind the car just looking in. Well, we don't rope nothing off. And I'm going, hey, come on in, take a look. And they're like, seriously? I'm like, yeah. And, I mean, people are coming in, they're looking, taking pictures, and, you know, putting some kids in the driver's seat so they can get that experience. And their parents were like, you got to be kidding me. This ain't for real, but it is. I took a um, little ownership there you at know, one that's point. What we that, that one cat wanted to see the, the transmission in your car, so I swung the door open and moved some tin work around. I'm like, I hope John doesn't get mad at me. If this was a car show, I'd get punched in the face. I just swung the door open like I owned it. But I just, I thought it was so special that all these people were showing so much interest that we need to embrace them. We need to let them come look in the car if they want to look in the car. So, um, Absolutely. And I've always done that. I've always been big about, I remember when I was young and I stood back and looked and, you know, I just was like wanting to look in so bad. Well, um, that hooked me. I mean, way I, that left an impression on me like you can't believe it. And I said, if I ever am fortunate enough, you know, good Lord willing that I get to have a, a, a car of some sort that somebody wants to look at, I'll never hold anybody back. I want to invite them in, have them come in, take a look. Young folks, old folks, I don't care. I want them to come in and look because it's, it's pretty and damn impressive when you get to walk up and look at these. And I'll tell you real quick. The amount of people that walked up there and said, holy crap, look at the size of the heads on those motors. I mean, they were blown away at the size of the engines. And, uh, you know, that's pretty cool. They don't get to see that stuff. We, you know, we want them to come in and look at it, take it in and become lifelong fans. I think you guys put on a fantastic show, if it matters at all. I, I don't know that you could have put really a better foot forward for the class or for this particular group of people, and I'm super excited for you guys. And whatever comes next for this particular uh, class of racing, I'm just I'm thrilled for what you guys were able to do in Houston, and I appreciate you making the tow down there from Missouri. John, I made that trip a bunch of times uh, with my family, and I know that was a, a heck of a haul for you guys, but we really appreciate it. I think everybody that was down there appreciated the show, and I can't wait to see you guys do it again in uh, a couple of weeks, dude. Well, I'm glad that I'm glad that they did, that you came down, that everyone that did come down and took it in. I'm glad they did. But I can tell you one thing, the drive home was a whole lot easier than the drive down. <laughs> when I got, you got that uh, little Wally sitting there next to you driving home is a pretty special thing. And um, that means more than people even understand. I mean, for a guy like me uh, to even have an opportunity to win one of those things is just unbelievable. But it was an awesome trip back home, awesome trip down there. NHRA couldn't have been any better with us. The fans couldn't have been any better. It was amazing. Even through a few of the raindrops, they still got everything done and on time. So it was super cool in that sense. But I want to real quick, I got to thank all my family real quick. I mean, my wife, uh, Leanne, my daughter, Ashley, 
Jeff Graber. He's one of Graber Concrete out of Cincinnati. Um, supports me, unbelievable. He's been on board for a long time. Jason, he takes care of all the engine stuff. And then I gotta thank Lump. I mean, Lump is a, a huge part of our deal. He's really helped turn this program around. He's, he's one of the main guys that's made a lot of things happen. And uh, without all those guys, it would never happen. But one more thing, I gotta thank Kevin and Karen Biaco because without them, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be racing today. They brought me back in back in 2011 when I had been parked for about a year and a half for my pro mod car and uh, put me back in racing again. Without them, I wouldn't be racing today. So I gotta thank them. And thank everybody on your show, you, Wes, you especially. You guys did an awesome job. And, you know, NHRA, Ned Walzer, everybody did an amazing job. I could never thank them enough for that opportunity. And uh, and I can't wait for Charlotte. Let's go, go, let's go get some racing done. Sounds like a plan, brother. Thank you so much, John. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I'm sure Jerry Haas is mad at me. So get back yeah. after it. If you need anything, you let me know, and I'll see you in a couple of days, okay? All right, buddy. Can't wait. Thank you guys all. Take care. And we'll see you here in a couple of day, uh, week or so. See you soon, brother. Uh-huh. Bye now. And how about that lump? Brian Self, the crew chief on John, uh, <clears throat> John DeFlorian's Camaro. This dude tunes anything. I watched him at the NHRA national event in Las Vegas. He also calls the shots on Alex Laughlin's NHRA Pro Stock Camaro, right? So this guy works on a lot of hot rods. This dude goes up there for... I mean, I think it was like the first or second round of eliminations. And the car had been spinning the tires. The tire's on fire, right? Spinning the tire. Track conditions had changed dramatically. Air had changed dramatically. I go over there. This dude has made a four-link change, shock change, transmission gear ratio change, move some weight around, and the car goes out there and goes like 655. And I'm just saying, like, the balls it takes to, it at that level, make that many changes confidently. And I don't know how confident he was. I mean, the look on his face was like, you know, but <laughs> it was still great. And I do, I just, the tuners that exist in our sport, it's crazy. And we've joked before about like, how can anybody stand and not drive one of these cars? And Lump's driven one on multiple occasions. But I do think that it is, it's such a jigsaw puzzle for so many of these guys that they get all the, everything they need to get, they get from calling the shots on one of these cars and trying to make, trying to figure out the Rubik's Cube. It's, it's super cool to see. And tip of the cap yet again to, to Lump himself out of the Elite Motorsports camp for producing one hell of a weekend. And I got to say, huge shout out to JR Carr, Sonny's Racing Engine customer. Clicked off a, a 622, I think, there. At one point during the weekend, right, recent, uh, tied the NHR or the national. Where did, where did he go here? Yeah, it went a 623 in the first round, comes back up, goes 623 in the second round, and a 624 in the final. Unfortunately, red lighted it away. Double 011 red light to give the win to John DeFlorian, who, had, who was there all weekend. He'd been in the mid 620s all weekend, went 623 in the second round, went 625, I believe, in the first round. Yep. Um, knocked the tires off that bad boy in, in, in E3 there. But still, Sonny Leonard provides big power to that JR car team. And they, they were a big part of this deal. Made a 2,100-mile tow from freaking Washington to Houston to, to race Mountain Motor Pro Stock. So great group of people. But, uh, hey, man, we got, we got a little bit more to talk about. Not a whole lot more. But I, I just think that we would be insane not to talk about this NHRA ProMod drag racing field. Uh, this is another thing where I feel like guys almost need to be commended for just being there. The people that are participating in this deal right now, 
it is shocking to me. I mean, the, the, the quality of the cars, the, the car count, the bump spot, 579 with a zero. How about Ricky, Tricky Ricky Smith on the bump, number 16? It's crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, it really is insane to think about that. Uh, but a 573 uh, claim the number one spot there, Jose Gonzalez, 257 miles an hour. The real, the, the moonshot came in uh, eliminations, however, when Erica Enders clicked off a 580 with a nine at 260, 260 miles an hour to uh, score the record. The NHRA tech officials came over and, and deemed that run, you know, 100% legit. So I believe that'll stand as the record uh, moving forward. Just... This, this thing that's going on between Todd Tuttero and Stevie Jackson, two finals in a row, and I actually have this queued up here, I think, where I can play it. Um, I, uh, what have I done here? I think I can send this over. Watch this with me. Oh, wait. That was an accident, right? No way. No way. Tuttero double fold, Steve is sitting in the car going, okay, that's what we're going to do, huh? I think he was giving a chance to back back at him, but... Nah. It's weird to hear myself on the call. Oh, it's Tuttero. He's late. He aborts his first run of the year. And Steve Jackson goes 567, 255 miles an hour. And unlike Angel, it'll be Steve Jackson making a happy call to the other side of the world tonight. And Todd Tuttero won't be. I gotta tell you, man, what a performance. Jack, Robbie, Robert, Drew, that whole team down there, Billy Stockton, Phil Schuler, a whole lot of high level guys working on that hot rod, and they most assuredly deserve that victory. It was very interesting. You see the two teams down on the starting line. There's a lot of respect between those two, even though nobody wants to beat that guy more than this guy. But part of me wonders as we watch that replay, and the Bahrain one car goes to the stripe by itself. If Todd knew he had a problem, goes in double bolt. I mean, he's never late. He hasn't aborted a run in forever, and I have to wonder if maybe he was just going up there. Here goes your boyfriend. Stevie into a red light. <laughs> Back-to-back finals to start the season for Stevie Fast. He is the world record holder. Now you're holding the Wally. What's been the biggest factor of your early surge this season? Woo! A team that stands behind me. Sheik Abdullah, Bahrain One Racing, Ozzy and Maria Moya, RaceOSW.com, Lucas Oil, Chuck Ford Superchargers, Brad Anderson Engines. Everybody clicking together, working together. Uh, Todd taught me everything he knew, but maybe not everything. Uh, I wanted that one pretty bad. I don't know uh, what happened to him, but I'll take it. I've lost enough of these like that. Uh, it feels good to win one. Did you feel like double bowled you on purpose? I don't know if he did or not, but when he did, I said, I got your ass now. <laughs> it's absolutely fantastic, man. Oh, my goodness. It's for me. Roll in and lift both bolts. Cutter just double bowled Stevie Fast. Oh, wait. There we go. That was an accident. There we go. Sorry, folks. It's crazy to me that we're getting to witness this. I truly believe what we're seeing right now in the E3 Spark Plugs NHRA Pro Mod Drag Racing Series presented by JNA Service is this is drag racing at its absolute finest. And to see this whole thing continue to develop, I think we're actually going to have like a legitimate rivalry develop between two longtime friends, Todd Tuttero and Stevie Fast Jackson, but that's how this thing's shaping up. It's shaping up to be a real deal rivalry. They've been in the final of the first two races of the season. They're, they're, they're batting 500. It's, it's very exciting, and I got to tell you that I think Stevie is going to be a problem for these folks. I don't know that this is the type of racer that you can allow to get any sort of momentum. This isn't the type of racer that you can allow to get any sort of 
real uh, uh, get into any sort of rhythm or routine. And I think that he's right. He said in a story that Josh Hatchett put together over on DragIllustrated.com that as the conditions start to change and they become less favorable to these blower cars, it's going to be more difficult. We're going to see the nitrous cars run out front. We're going to see the turbo cars run out front a little more so. However, if he can, if he can score some round wins at these, at these tough condition races in Bristol, um, it's going to Topeka. If they can go some rounds, we're really going to see him. I mean, we're going to see Stevie Jackson in a championship hunt at the end of the year, and it's just crazy to think this was a, a, an Orska racer not that long ago. This was a, 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 tool sale, a tool truck salesman not that long ago. This is a guy racing for fun not that long ago. And it's just to see the success that he's having, uh, you know, huge shout-out to that Bahrain One racing team for, for keeping Stevie racing. This is a fantastic thing. And I'll tell you, if you notice Khaled Al-Belushi, whenever they were reacting there on the starting line, right, the whole team was, was throwing their arms up. He said, 255. That's what Belushi said. And that was a booming speed for that car. I talked to Billy Stockland for about a half hour yesterday, and I think that that's probably amongst the things that they are the most proud of right now, just to be able to, to produce performances like that. Uh, they've got one incredible race car. I do think it speaks to guys that are kind of defying conventional wisdom. I think a lot of these guys get inside of a box that they've operated in for years and years and years and years and years, and they're, they're afraid to tow outside of it. They're afraid to get outside of the the bounds of what they know works. Stevie was quoted in that story that, that our own senior editor, Josh Hatchett, put together as saying that the best thing that happened, the performance that they're having today was produced by him having that wreck in Charlotte last year. Early in the season, if you remember, at the four wides in Charlotte uh, about a year ago in a couple of weeks, Stevie had a really unfortunate top-end accident in his Bahrain One racing Camaro, piled the thing up, was fortunately able to walk away, with, away from the incident, but they had to bring Shadow 2.0 out. They had to bring their grudge car out, Phil Schuler's legendary Shadow 2.0, that RJ race car that was built specifically to run Radio vs. the World, grudge races, outlaw-style races. They brought that car out. They made it work. They adapted it to the NHRA rule set, and they went out and they had a lot of success with it. They won Indy. They had a ton of success. They ran really well at the World Series of Pro Mod. Tons of success in 2018 with that car, and Stevie credits having to make a radial car work, having to, the things that they had to do to make that car work is what accelerated their program when they got a specific tool. When they got a purpose-built tool, they were to, uh, able to apply all that information, all that experience. So it's very, it's an exciting thing to see happen, man. I truly believe if you haven't made it out to an NHRA national event that's featuring ProMod in 2019, if you weren't in Houston, if you weren't in Gainesville, I would find a way to get to Charlotte, get to one of these deals, because we are seeing something truly special, man. We are seeing drag racing at its absolute finest. There's no doubt in my mind. No doubt in my mind. What else we got? Murder Tundra? That it? You sound like a fanboy now. I'm a little bit of a fanboy. I mean, I am a fanboy well, of I, ProMod. I, I catch a lot of flack around here for it. Oh, for the, for the, for the, um, the Stevie Fast stuff? Well, just, yeah, whoever, whatever racer that I think is doing good. Well, you yeah. only like Keith Berry and Stevie Jackson. I like other racers. You only like them? No, I don't. If, if he tells you guys that he likes you, he's lying. He only <laughs> likes Stevie Jackson and Keith Berry. That's, That's it. That no, I'm just joking. Right. I'm just joking. But, but seriously, though, I mean, it's hard to deny that Stevie has injected, in my opinion, so much life, just a breath of fresh air, someone who, I mean, he... 
think about that interview that he did there with Amanda Busick on Fox Sports. He, he managed to thank all of his sponsors, right? Get everybody's name mentioned. He managed to do all those things that you need to do to pay the bills, but he still was able to do it with some personality and flair. I think sometimes we start talking about this stuff and everybody thinks that, like, you know, you can't thank your sponsors. You can. No, you yeah, th- yeah, thank your sponsors. Do all those things. Say the things you need to say. If you've got to say, like, you know, we're racing this weekend to stop people from texting and driving. Say that. That's great. But, like, say it with some sort of personality and then follow it up with a freaking, I'm going to kick their ass or that's what, we, that's what we're here to do. I mean, just the thing that I want to see people do is I don't want to see anybody, like, I'm not looking for hate speak. I just want to see people act like they care. And that's what I saw this weekend with John DeFlorian. That video has went quasi-viral. 50, 40, 50, 60, 70,000 views of John melting down after he won that race. And then to see Stevie Jackson go bonkers like that, I just, that's what we need more of. We can't be nonchalant about it. We can't act like it's no big deal. Oh, on to the next one, whatever. That we got to treat them all like this. And I do want to say that uh, Todd Tuttero was on a hell of a run there. throughout the course of the last couple of weeks. I can't remember what Lewis Bloom told me, but I think it was something like a dozen runs that car had been down the racetrack in a row all faster than 579. So he had made a dozen runs faster than 579. That is unbelievable in a lot of ways. I mean, typically, ProMod world, you, you, you make like one really good run, and then you hit the scoreboards the next run. That's pretty much what happens in ProMod. So to run... 12, 570 runs in a row. That's really impressive. He's been well into the 560s. I mean, it's insane what we're seeing right now. And I'd say Stevie would have had his hands full there in the final, but he had, I think an airline came loose or something happened in the car. He had to foot brake it. He couldn't use the, 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 the trans brake. So he goes up there and he literally just rolled in, turned on both bulbs and tried to foot brake it like a bracket car. And unfortunately, it didn't work out very well. But Heck of a run here for Todd Tuttero, and I think that we're going to see those guys go to battle throughout the year. I think they are clearly the class of the field right now. However, when the air changes, we're we're definitely going to see things tighten up. I mean, the DA really, what what did Stevie say? Like, the blower gods came to his rescue. I think that's what he said. The blower gods came to his rescue and provided a fantastic weekend for for those combinations and we saw a whole bunch of guys run fast but it's going to be it's going to tighten up throughout the year i will say there's talk of some rule changes coming in pro mod i've heard from a lot of people i don't really know what's going to happen i'm anxious to find out i i will say i was going to touch on this some of the rule changes that are being talked about right now um are about nitrous cars right and this isn't going to be a popular thing what i'm about to say but i'm going to say it anyways is that i think what we have is an inventory issue. And I think that we're going to have to be hyper aware of changing the rules to speak to a, a, a group of cars that we just don't have a lot of. I think that there are going to be some rule changes coming for the NHRA Pro Mod to preserve Nitrous Pro Mod racers. But I hope they understand that if they make the rules that are being proposed, it will be a preservation move. It will not be a growth move. We have to probably realize that there are not that many 903 cubic inch nitrous cars in the country right now. Most of those engines have been sold off, you know, to race in outlaw racing or wherever else, grudge cars, no time cars, radial tire cars, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The bulk of 
pro-level nitrous cars are in the PDRA. The PDRA's pro-nitrous division is packed full of heavy-hitting nitrous cars. And I know that this isn't going to be a super popular sentiment amongst the current nitrous racers, but I truly believe if we want more nitrous cars, you're probably going to have to experiment with letting those 959s come run. You're going to have to find a way to let those guys with 959s come run. And I know that's not a popular sentiment amongst the people that race nitrous cars right now in the NHRA Pro 1 because they don't want to have to go buy new engines. They don't want their stuff to be outdated overnight. It's a real problem, but it, but it really speaks to not acting fast enough because had we acted faster, had the NHRA kind of addressed this issue earlier on, we probably wouldn't be in this position. And it's a really hard thing to do right now because a nitrous car qualified number two in Houston. A nitrous car qualified number two in Houston. Chad Green, Pat Musi Power, 575 with a 1, 249.07. Dean Marinas, Pat Musi calling the shots on that thing. They've got a killer race car. Jerry Bickle car, they've got a first-class top-rate program. Chad Green's got the best stuff money can buy, right? And he qualified number two, and he's having the results, you know, that, that come from making that kind of an investment. And I know that we don't want to, you know, upset guys like that by introducing, you know, kind of opening this can of worms. But in my opinion, no one that currently has a blower car or a turbo car is going to switch back to a nitrous car. They're not. The amount of maintenance they take, the complication, the, the complexity, excuse me, of those cars and running those cars with success, I just don't think anybody's going to switch back. No one's going to switch back. No one's going to abandon what they've been doing for the last couple of years to grab one. I will say that I wouldn't be surprised to see some racers that are super sharp that have experience with those combinations maybe switch midseason, switch back and forth. I mean, I would not be surprised at all to see Stevie Jackson race a nitrous car at some point this year if they had one. If the conditions were favorable for a nitrous car, he'll probably run a nitrous car. I really think that that's possible. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? <laughs> I think it's cool. I really do. I would not at all be surprised if the conditions were favorable to see someone like Ricky Smith bring out a nitrous car or Stevie Jackson bring out a nitrous car. It would not surprise me one bit. I think that they're capable and qualified to do it, and I'd say that it would, it would further cement Ricky's, Ricky, Ricky Smith as the greatest door slammer racer of all time. And it would probably throw Stevie Jackson into that conversation if, if he was to do that. If he was to do that, it would be, he would definitely become in the argument for amongst the most, the, the most, the greatest door slammer racer of all time. So, all right, guys, I think that's enough for the day. An hour and 23 minutes. Let's shut this bad boy off. I do want to remind you and thanks, Murder Tundra, for your help today. I really appreciate it. Shout out to John DeFlorian for joining us on the show. I want to remind everybody that you can search for The West Buck Show on iTunes. So, Log on to iTunes, search for The West Buck Show. Please share it, like it, what's the thing, click the star deal, leave a comment, rate it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We got a bunch of fun stuff coming, some more long-form interviews like we did last weekend with Sean Langdon. I've got one scheduled with uh, Stevie Jackson, some uh, pre-recorded uh, pre ones that'll be a lot of fun. And I'm also going to introduce a little new segment where my dad and I tell stories which is going to be a lot of fun. I've, been, I've gotten a lot of feedback from people wanting me to do stuff with my pops, wanting me to bring dad in here and tell crazy stories about going drag racing and buying and selling stuff. And, uh, they we're, have to edit this stuff. Well, I've actually kind of told him that we're just going to let it fly. <laughs> we're going to do whatever he wants to do. So it'll be a ton of fun. We're actually, the first episode that we're going to record is going to be about a trip we made to opposite points of the country uh, in 2002. I believe, when I headed out west to Yakima, Washington to buy a comp illuminator car, and he headed out east to Colts Neck, New Jersey to buy a pro stock car, 
and meeting back in the middle here in Kirksville, Missouri, and all the uh, shenanigans that went on from sea to shining sea. So thank you guys so much for joining us. Be on the lookout for that episode, the, the road tripping with, with my dad, and I will see you guys. The, the next events for me is I will be in at the NHRA Four Wides in Charlotte, so look me up. Love to have a cup of coffee, tell some stories. I guess it sounds like I'm going to be calling the Mountain Motor Pro Stock thing again, possibly ProMod as well. Looking forward to that. Appreciate everybody that was so nice to me. Shout out to Seth Angel for a whale of a weekend down there in Houston. Uh, track owner, they put on a great show. They opened their arms and, and welcomed us in. And I look forward to seeing you guys on down the road. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>